let's just pray over our, our morning together. So Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us? I pray, Father, that, that uh, we would just know that, that even with, uh, with distraction and with complication, that um, none of that changes the fact that you are here and that we are in your presence. Father, I pray that, that you would also now take us from the place of knowing not just that you are here. I pray that we would know that you're active. I pray that, that we could place our faith in your activity. I pray that, that all, of, uh, all of those places where there might be an emptiness or a place where we're struggling, we invite you to demonstrate your presence in your activity. We ask that you would bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we right now are using the Gospel of John to examine how God expresses himself to his people, how his weighty, felt presence of God manifests, a reality that, that we are capturing with defining the word glory. His glory is this felt presence, the feltness, the weighty felt presence of God that, that makes him real to us, makes him accessible to us, but also real through us and accessible through us. It's the glory of God that testifies of his existence, of his love, of his activity in our lives. It's the glory that John presents in his gospel, this gospel narrative, this, this truth that we see of the, the God, the most high God. This is somewhat, uh, for, for some, maybe a frustrating series to go through because we are missing so much as we, as we go through. We're going to go through John 7, 8, and 10 today. Um, we're going through it quickly, but we're going through it because we're looking for one thing. So there are, are just huge uh, areas of, of Scripture that we're missing. I'd encourage you to be in in, in the weeks between our, our messages. But what we're looking for is, is the glory of God. We're looking for glory revealed. We're looking for his glory revealed, um, not just in the signs and wonders, but the pattern that, that his signs and wonders demonstrate, a pattern that, that as he moves, or as, as we move towards Jesus, we find that, that Jesus actually turns and moves towards us. For those that seek him, Jesus turns and moves towards them, but also as he moves towards those that are seeking Jesus, he sees beyond masks of brokenness, and he offers healing. And then, in the ultimate show of love, the ultimate show of healing, he offers himself as the one true sacrifice for us to be whole and in righteousness with God. Today, with, with this narrative, with this look at glory, we're going to take another step with John. Um, he, he's presented the work of Jesus to us, but beginning with chapter 6, with what Brad talked about last week, we saw that, that John is presenting the way glory elicits a response. The movement from, from glory to, to glory through. Moving, moving from what Jesus does for me, to the work of what Jesus does through me, and by extension, through me for others. The natural consequence of Jesus moving towards me 
the natural consequence of Jesus seeing through my masks of brokenness, the natural consequence of of that transformation that comes from, from health that Jesus offers, the natural consequence of Jesus becoming the center of my life is that the glory of God can be felt, can be experienced through me. The problem, though, the problem with that equation is that whole Jesus at the center stuff. Because if Jesus is at the center, that means I cannot be at the center. You can't have two centers. I guess you could, but you wouldn't roll very well. If Jesus is at the center, then I am no longer at the center. That is, that's a reality that's very difficult to surrender. It's very difficult to identify. It's even more difficult when we realize that this is something to surrender. Our study today is going to take us to a feast that we see in the beginning of chapter 7. It's going to reflect a common theme that that happens in feasts that are also found in John 8 and in John chapter 10. The main thread between the feast activities is the conflict of glory and how glory is resisted. Resistance to God is nothing new. This isn't something that that, that has just occurred in, in our time, in our existence. Resistance to God has always been Resistance to God didn't begin also with the the ministry of Jesus. It also didn't end with the ministry of Jesus. Resistance to God is a reality that that we see and live with today in our culture, but it's also something that we deal with ourselves as we look to ask the question or answer the question of what is the center of my life. Chapter 7 is a transition point because we see that that Jesus steps into the midst of some vicious hostility that is a response to glory. And so we have seen the glory of God. Now we are beginning to see more fully the, the responses to that glory that has been revealed. When the weighty felt presence of God is is noticed, a response comes. Now, the contrast that that is evolving in this glory narrative is found in two basic types of responses when we are met with the glory of God. The first is faith, and the next is hostility. Now, faith is easy to recognize because, honestly, it's demonstrated in one form. The one form that faith is identified by is, is obedience. Conversely, hostility is also easy to recognize because it comes in a million of other forms with varying degrees of intensity. All of those, though, reflect selfishness and disobedience. Or, if disobedience is is a word that causes too much friction, we can just call it obedience to self or obedience to to self-interest. With that in mind, join me in John chapter 7 starting in verse 1. After this, 
Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go. But you can go any time. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Now, those that were in the position to know Jesus best demonstrate their hostility, their hostility that, that really is aimed towards him, but it comes in, in this sarcastic humor and contempt. These are his brothers. These are his siblings, his blood relatives. Maybe we can call it tolerant contempt. You know, maybe it, it's, it, it's one of those, like, like the, he's the weird sibling. Anybody have a weird sibling? Yeah, there's hands in there. How many of you are the weird sibling then? That's... <laughs> Oh, man. I really feel like I could get some mileage with that one, but we're going to keep going. Um, I, I am not the weird sibling. Um, you can ask my mom. She's over there. I'm not the weird sibling. Um, but, but this is, is this, if, if it's not, uh, if it isn't open, hostile contempt, it, it is contempt none, nonetheless. They're, they're treating him. Um, like, like you would treat somebody that, that you find kind of cringy and awkward. You're, you're like, like the one that you don't want to let, like you know that they're going to come to the family dinner, but you're like, man, I just, I hope they just keep their mouth shut. Like, oh, I hope nothing comes up. You know, I, I hope that, that there, there's no, like, nothing will, like, make him be weird. You know, like, how can, or, or how can we do this? How can we do Thanksgiving in a way that, that like, we can invite them, but they'll just, they'll be normal? Or... You know, this is, a, you know, one of the, um, you know, I, maybe I'm, maybe in our broader family, I'm starting to, to take notice of, of maybe a role that I fill for you, because sometimes I have people say, hey, uh, I'm going to invite somebody to church. Um, are you going to behave this week? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not necessarily comparing myself to Jesus, but I'm opening up the, a role that I might be playing here that I'm going to have to think about for a while. Um, but Jesus is experiencing from his brothers uh, something that, that serves as a model for many of us uh, that have found sarcastic contempt as, as a, a response from those that find out that, that we follow Jesus. The sarcastic contempt that comes against, you know, the, oh, that's so cute kind of a thing. They find out that, that we follow Jesus, that we, have, that we have religion, and we get like a condescending eye roll. Or they say, this is my favorite. Um, I won't give you my response to this, but my favorite, when people find out that I'm a pastor, they say, oh, I'll watch my language around you. <laughs> a lot of you know how funny that is. <laughs> but, but you get that, that isn't that so cute attitude. That's this kind of veiled contempt that's a response to God's glory. Jesus is demonstrating that this really did begin with, with him. Now, the, the reason for this is simple. Both, both for Jesus, but also for those of us that follow him. The, the mold that, that was created for us no longer fits. And, and that not mold fitting on our, on our uh, 
our not fitting into the mold causes a problem for the people that, that we're in relationship with. The conforming has ended, and when we fail to conform to the role that, that we have been, that's been created for us, it creates conflict. And a lot of times, the way that people will respond to that conflict is condescension or, or sarcastic humor. And this is what Jesus is experiencing. The, the conforming for Jesus has ended. He is not conforming to, to the role that his brothers have for him. Now, this festival also is an example, and, and Jesus' response to it is an example of not conforming. This is one that every Jewish man that lives 15 miles away from, from the temple in Jerusalem, and we're talking basically a day's journey, a journey, like if you can get to the temple without having to stop overnight, you're expected to go to these festivals. Many would, would make the pilgrimage from even further away. This was a big deal. This is what you did. To not do this would, would, would be a problem. The mandatory attendance is a reflection of conformity, and, and Jesus is shattering this. Because when you, when, you, when you are conforming, you're also keeping a peace. This idea, though, this idea is about to be shattered as Jesus is shattering the conformity. The, the idea that just showing up to the place of worship could count as actual worship. Jesus is shattering this idea. Showing up is not the same as being submitted to God. Showing up is not the same as, as Jesus being the center of life. Without any faith in God, without any relationship with God, just going through the motions would give, would give someone credit, would give a check in the box, and, and this check in the box would last for the next season until the next festival, that, that they had fulfilled their requirements to appease God. For another few months, they're squared away. They don't have to do anything else. They were able to show up. Other people saw that they were there. They saluted the flag. They moved on. And that's that. It requires no faith. Now, it is obedience, but it, but it is no surrender. He's not going to the festival. He's shattering this idea that you can worship without surrender. The type of religion that, that doesn't require any change, any evolution of the heart, any evolution of the mind, any evolution of the spirit, anything that just requires compliance is religion. And in this, Jesus is being weird. He's refusing to comply. He is going to go to the festival. We're going to see that in a bit. But he's not going in the same way with the same goal of checking the box of compliance. He's going to make a point. And he's going to shatter the idea that we can just show up. John Chapter 7, verse 10. After his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. 
This is clearly way before Facebook and Twitter. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. This is a clear response to glory, a response to this weighty, felt presence of God, a response that's not new and a response that we see even today, a stubborn and sinful refusal to accept God's word and his messengers. That's what's going on here, is a a stubborn refusal to accept the word of God. Now, with the onset of the ministry of Jesus as the Christ, it's expressed in, in the rejection of his person and his teaching, but it creates a residual effect on anyone that would speak favorably about him. Nobody would say anything good about him. The, the best was like a vanilla statement of, of like, well, he seems like a good dude. Nobody is willing to step into the place of saying, that changed my life. This is the most basic form of resistance to created order. Not allowing creation to operate as it was designed not allowing roles to be filled by the proper role fillers isn't new, and it's also not over. This is a response to glory. We see this even in, in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, Psalm 78, 22. For they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. They did not believe God or trust him to fill his role. They didn't believe God and trust that he could be father. They didn't believe God and trust that he could heal. That simple verse unpacks generations of brokenness. People don't trust God because they don't trust people. That's really what's going on here. People don't trust God because they don't trust people. People engage in varying degrees of competitive survival and so the world becomes a, a, a life that it's like, like a, a live action Lord of the Flies playing out like right in our midst. It's like a Lord of the Flies cistern of manure. And, and you know, we're getting to a place where, um, you know, more and more I'm becoming aware of how this comes to be because I'm becoming more and more aware of myself. You know why why people find it so hard to trust others is because I realize now how untrustworthy I am, why you should never trust me. I have said some horrendous things about people. I have spoken about people behind their back. I have manipulated other people to feel certain ways about people. I've used power over people. I've done things to people. Man, you think about the the list and how long it would take me to actually describe the, 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 just the, the, I mean, that word heinous comes to mind, the things that I've done to other people. Not just words, but actual actions. If we get into this, how about, how about this for 
a reason why it's difficult to trust people. I have thought some pretty terrible things about people. I've allowed my biases to dictate how I feel and how I react with people. I even made a joke about that this morning about, about Chiefs fans, you know. Um, and that's and it's actually, the, I mean, this was a real thing for me when I noticed that I was actually judging people based on what football team they cheered for. And, I mean, this was a real, like, my, my heart would change towards somebody because of something as trivial as that. There was a time where I would, I would probably make an argument that it, it really isn't a trivial thing at all. But this is why people don't trust other people, because there are people like me in the world. Viewed from this lens, it makes sense that, that, that given the experience of life, that trusting others for, for my well-being is not going to be a sensible paradigm to enter into because I know that like, I have not been trustworthy with other people's lives. This is getting back to competitive survival. This is about me being the center of my own order. Standing on other people just to make sure that my head is above the water. Making sure that I get mine first. Making sure that I have enough and then making sure that I get to define what enough is. When we read that, that verse in Psalm, that Psalms that, that they did not believe God or trust him to care for them, a lot of that begins with the fact that, that we to each other have been so untrustworthy. We can't trust each other, which makes it difficult to trust God. Another reason we don't trust God, another reason that this response to glory is disobedience is, is because God himself has failed to meet our expectations. No matter how many times I have explained to God what I need of him, he fails to do what I say. Y'all believe that? I can't trust him to do my bidding. I can't trust him to do what I say. I can't even trust him to respond to my will favorably. I can't trust him to make my life fit into my idea of comfort. And this is the reality that so many people in our lives, so many people that we interact with in the time between the Sundays, so many people in our sphere of influence do not believe in God because people have treated them badly but also because God has not given them the ease and the comfort that they desire. Because of those things, resistance is, is really a softened word because what we're actually talking about as a response to, to not being able to trust God, not being able to trust people, we're not really talking about resistance, right? We're actually talking about rebellion. Rebellion is a common response to the felt, weighty presence of God. 2 Kings 17, 14 and 15 says this, But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors, and they despised all of his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols 
so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. A response to the weighty felt presence of God. Again in Psalm 78, verse 17, yet they kept on sinning against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. They even spoke against God himself, saying, God can't get, give us food out here in the wilderness. Hebrews 3, 12 through 19 tells us, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, Turn, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and, hardening, and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as, he, as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it, what it says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Now what we can draw from, from all of this is that when the weighty felt presence of God manifests in his creation, many see this as a threat to their order. They see it as a threat to their order because it is. You know, last week, Brad talked about liminal space, the reality that, that, that we, that, that who we are is not who we're going to be. It's not who we will stay. In, the liminal, in this liminal space, this is where we're trained. This is where we're, we're refined. This is where we experience the fire of the living God that burns off all of the stuff that, that we have collected along the way that leads us to look to self rather than looking to God. That fire is hot. Stepping into the fire means we're stepping in to, uh, into this heat that's also a step away from self-determination. And that is not a very American thought, right? This surrender is not something that, that culturally is, is a very comfortable frame of, of reference. Stepping into this fire. Giving up my will for his will is the height of surrender and all of culture really pushes back on that paradigm. Hearing the voice of God calls for this reckoning, though, because we can't serve two masters. We see that throughout Scripture. We can't serve two masters. Rebellion is the short-term, easy response that allows me to maintain my illusion of control. Let me say that again if you didn't hear it. Rebellion is the short-term, easy response that allows me to maintain my illusion that I'm in control. The long-term good comes by the way of the hard work of healing 
the hard work of restoring God's order to creation. And no matter what generation that we examine, few will choose this hard work, especially when there's an easy answer. And that easy answer takes us back to compliance. Compliance is the easy answer. Just check the box. Show up. Fake the funk. Do the rituals and move on. Don't rock the boat. And then when the bell rings, get on with all that competition, that, that, that competitive survival. The glory of God, though, manifest in his self-expression, is attacking the comfort and compliance. Attacking the comfort that compliance gives. And more than attacking, he is stripping it of truth and exposing it from a lie, as a, a lie from the pit of hell. Back in John 7, verse 14, then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. I do enjoy that question. How does, how does he know so much? Jesus told him, my message is not my own. This blows the mind of religious leaders that have given messages that keep people in control. And, and that control really kind of feeds their way of life. Jesus tells them, my message is, is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you're trying to kill me. He's totally reading their mail, but they, they, can't, they can't have that. So the crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you when they all know they are? Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath, too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. In other words, long before the people that Jesus is talking about, this whole Sabbath thing has been, uh, you know, really more convenient than, uh, than letter of the law. For if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Now, a few moments ago, we heard Jesus say in John 7, verse 7, the world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. The world doesn't, doesn't hate conformity. The world does not hate conformity. The world hates those that rock the boat. The world hates the good news proven to be true that for the world, for our world, to be restored to order, we must put down our selfish ways pick up our cross, and follow the way that Jesus taught us to walk. This is the most hated message in the kingdom of the worldly. 
Jesus Christ encountered criticism, grumbling, and plotting because he was seen as a threat to the religious and political hierarchy and because he exposed selfishness in individuals. How dare him? He was resisted because of of who he spent time with even. Matthew 9, verse 11, we see, but but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 39, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to, to himself, this is, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. They missed the point that Jesus, in his resistance to conformity, is opening a way for the living God to be with people like us. Not just for the people that he spent time with, he was also resisted for breaking the law. And Matthew, again, in Matthew 15, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. It's kind of gross, but still. Luke 11, his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. And we saw earlier in our study of John, John 5, 16, the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. In addition to breaking the law, in addition to hanging out with scum like us, He faced accusations of blasphemy, which really is kind of a hilarious accusation to make against the living God, but we'll put that aside for for the moment. Um, He was accused of being demon-possessed. We just saw that in our passage today. He was slandered. He was ridiculed. He was hated, all because he rocks the boat of conformity. John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44, lay it it out to us this way. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? This is Jesus speaking. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a a liar and the father of lies. In that, wrapped in the mantle of that teaching that Jesus gives us, is one of the most effective lies in all of human history. It's a lie that remains effective today. It's a lie that Jesus came to attack The lie is that you, that we, that I am in control. The lie is that we can be the center of order. The lie is that the world can revolve around me. That lie is extended when we say that this reality, that the world can revolve around me, will bring me peace. The lie is extended that, that the world revolving around me, me being the center of my order, not only will bring me peace, but it will bring me wholeness 
And also with that peace and the wholeness that it brings, it'll also bring me eternity. This lie is the birthplace of all human conflict. It's also our pathway to destruction. The path to victory, though, is resistance. But it's not resistance to the weighty, felt presence of the living God. So what do we do in face of all of this, this uplifting message that that I've given you today? How do we respond to the reckoning? How do we respond to, to the reality of God's weighty presence? How do we respond to the fact that the living God can be felt among us today? Resistance to that is one choice. It's a common choice. It's a choice that I've made in the past. It's a choice that I hope I never make again. But resistance is always a choice when we feel the weighty presence of God. The other choice when we feel that presence. The other choice when we feel the presence of God with us. The other choice is to enter into the liminal space. The other choice is to allow the fire of the Spirit to come. The other choice is to experience God and to become an experience of God. What was true for Jesus, true through Jesus, is also true for us and true through us. If we fail to conform, we're going to face the same things that Jesus faced. Slander, ridicule, accusations, hatred, sarcastic contempt, all because we no longer fit in the mold and we no longer play that role for others. Some of you might have experienced that in your own family as you came to know Jesus. We have this from Paul, though, written to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. I'm hoping that as we're going through this, you're, you're noticing there's some language I'm going to leverage here in a second. I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed and that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. As we turn back to, to worship, we do it with this verse, Revelation 13.10. Anyone, anyone, anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. We will experience the weighty, felt presence of God. We will be presented with the choice to resist, the choice to obey. 
we will be placed into the presence of the fire. We will face the fire, and we will face the response of not fitting in. But this is what we get to do. We get to endure. Not just endure. We get to endure with the weighty, felt presence of God, which makes everything else melt away. We get to stand in healed order. And we get to do this together. Because the Jesus that we looked for came and found us. The Jesus that we looked for not only found us, he saw through our masks of brokenness, he saw through all of the things that weighed us down and he healed us. And in that place of healing, he called us to endure together as one. And so, as one, let's worship.